Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the 191st episode of the award-winning Diverse Minds Podcast. And this month's theme is Please Don't! Workplace Mistakes. And prevailing wisdom tells business leaders to focus primarily on profit, which, of course, we know works in the short term and you have to run a business. However, when a company or organization encounter a crisis, there's the only one thing that can save your company is to stop people walking out the door. So says Shara Roman. Now, Shara is the founder and CEO of the Silverine Group, a culture consulting firm that aligns people, strategy and culture to optimize organizational performance. As an award-winning entrepreneur, board member, speaker, author, and experienced chief human resources officer, Shara and her team consult with leaders to create healthy workplaces by helping them build inclusive workplace cultures, design effective organizations, and align their company values and people programs to achieve business goals. Prior to founding the Silverine Group in 2016, Shara held leadership positions in Fortune 500 companies, including Fannie Mae and Visa, as well as CGI and NRECA. She was born in India, schooled in Nigeria and England, and she lived in Greece before going to the US. Shara uses her global experience as the foundation for her distinctive expertise in crafting strategies to improve culture, workforce quality, and operations across a multitude of disciplines in the public, private, and non-profit sectors. She received an MBA from Georgetown University, where she is also an adjunct professor. And today, she also serves on several advisory and non-profit boards, and we're going to be discussing her book, The Conscious Workplace, in more detail. So, Shara, welcome to the show. Hi, Leila. It's so wonderful to be here and to chat with you. I've been looking forward to this. Oh, so have we. And I've just read out your bio, but I think it's really great for listeners to hear from you what you're working on at the moment. Uh, What a great question. I sometimes feel like it's what am I not working on at the moment? So there are a couple of different hats that I've got going on right now. So obviously the main thing is I'm running a business. We have a culture consulting group that I founded in uh, 2016. And so we really at the Silverine Group work at the intersection of people, strategy and culture. So, you know, what does that mean? We help companies really build thriving workplaces or workplaces where everyone can come and thrive. So that is a lot of work around culture assessment, culture design, leadership coaching, doing workshops on sort of, you know, psychological sh- safety and shifting mindsets and, and strategic people work, HR work. And then, uh, and of course, kind of as a part of culture, there's the the focus on really helping people build inclusive workplaces, right? To, to sort of really create, create that thriving. The other big thing is that, you know, I published a book last fall called The Conscious Workplace. And I've been very, you know, sort of busy, quite frankly, in a, in a lovely way with that, whether it's doing podcasts, whether it's doing book tours, um, speaking engagements, um, some of those are at conferences, some of those are, you know, for bespoke for, for leadership teams within organizations. So that's sort of really what I've been working on. And of course, you know, I'm a mom and a wife, I have a kid in college, a kid in high school, and he's look, starting to look at colleges and a husband and two dogs. So I've got a lot going on. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds incredibly busy. So, you know, Shara, you've had an interesting background growing up. Obviously, you were born in India, you were schooled in Nigeria and England, and you lived in Greece before you went to the US. So I'm guessing that this has shaped your journey in becoming a culture advisor. It definitely has. I think it's something that was innate in me. You know, I I think 
having to sort of live, move around and live in different countries where quite frankly, I've always been a guest in someone else's country, right? And uh, thinking about that is more about being, uh, you know, being curious, being humble, sort of recognizing that there are traditions and customs and things that are happening that, you know, if you want to really feel that you can be a part of it, that you lean into that curiosity and you lean into sort of really wanting to get to know people and then also sharing about yourself, right? So that became something that I just sort of naturally did think to just sort of survive and thrive, right? In, uh, in, in my childhood. But from a work perspective, I fell into that work, uh, sort of, I think, quite coincidentally or, or, or accidentally, because I kept getting drawn to companies and organizations that were at some inflection point. And that's the kind of pe- uh, organizations that we work with now as well. But, um, you know, I was drawn to these organizations in transition and transformation. And there was always something different that needed to happen for them. You know, with one of them, we were spinning off a large part of their business and they had to go from this sort of association uh, mindset to really a for-profit tech-focused company. And then in another organization, I kind of came in and we were ramping up a whole new e-business out of an organization that hadn't really worked that way. And then the organization went through... um, went through sort of the financial crisis and we had to sort of redo, you know, we had to really think about sort of how the organization did its work, its culture, its strategy, all of that, and, you know, so on and so on. And what I realized is that you can't just have, if you wanted to really change sort of going back to that first organization that I was talking about, it's not just about setting a strategy and saying, okay, we're going to spin off this organization and this is what it's going to look like. And 3000 people are moving and, you know, let's just um, set up some structures and create a new organization and and set goals and strategies on what we're going to do. We were floundering for in the beginning because we didn't have the right leaders in place. We didn't have the right mindset in place. We didn't have the right incentives in place. We didn't really understand how to take the mission and the purpose and what we were trying to do and how we were trying to do it and bring those together. So that was like, that was over 20, it was about 20 years ago, actually, that it started, that I started to sort of get interested and get aware that culture was a huge part and probably the most important part in actually bringing strategy to life. And so it just sort of started from there. And that's kind of how the journey journey began. And then I had like the really good fortune of working at great companies where we were partnering with you know, organizations externally as well, but we got to do a lot of the culture transformation work um, along the way. Mm, so exciting. And I want to dig in more into your book. So the conscious workplace, because the theme for the podcast this month is please don't workplace mistakes. So we know there's a plethora of information out there, yet workplaces, in the, particularly in the global north, they're just getting it wrong. So what does the term <laughs> conscious workplace mean to you? Yes. So, yeah, and I totally agree, right? So many companies are getting it wrong and we have, what, 85% of the workforce globally that is disengaged, right? So that is a really disheartening statistic. And that is one of the things that drove me to sort of write this book and present an alternative point of view of thinking about it. So the conscious workplace, first and foremost, is really about recognizing that people and purpose and profits don't have to be mutually exclusive. Um, It is about really being intentional 
being purposeful about the work you do as an organization, why you do it, you know, why are you in this business for the fir- in the first place, and the kind of workplace culture that you want. Because whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're, you know, um, uh, making yogurt like, like Chobani does, or you are, uh, you know, making um, outerwear like Patagonia does, or you're in the financial services business, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Um, whatever you are doing, you know, really focusing on the fact that there are people that are coming into your workplace. So be conscious and be human centered in your approach to work. Think about how you're going to really foster that community. So connecting the inside and the outside, because people want to have a higher purpose. We know that that's always innate to us as humans, but it is more and more so important for Gen Z's and millennials, right? And um, and then we really want to foster this ownership mentality. So when 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 I write about the conscious workplace and, and all the research we did about companies that do look at the triple bottom line and companies that are B Corps and comp- in the in the US and, and they're sort of really thinking about people and planet and profits, right? That the all three of those things come if you can start with that human-centered, that people-centered place and really build organizations where, uh, you know, everybody can come and thrive, then you're going to achieve your financial goals. And if you're a nonprofit and you're not measuring it in profitability, you still have to generate enough income and revenue to keep yourself afloat, right? To serve the, the members of the constituents that are um, that are that are uh, that are dependent on on the work that you do. So um, this really applies across the board as as well. Mm, thank you. Yeah, really, really um, helpful. And then thinking about because this podcast is all about mental health and well being. How do you yes. think a conscious workplace improves mental well being? I mean, it sounds very. I know it sounds very obvious question to ask, but when you were doing your research and then the book, what what's come out from it? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. And I love that you are asking that because we don't talk about it um, enough. And actually, Layla, that's why I sort of really love your love your podcast, that it is focused on, um, you know, the mental well-being. So as I said kind of earlier, when you have a conscious workplace culture, you're focusing on people and their needs first, right? And uh, versus the bottom line. And you're not thinking about reporting to the street, which I know is, is a thing that drives businesses, right? Um, you're not thinking about sort of the, the report to the board, whatever. You're thinking about the employee's well-being. You're thinking about creating that psychological safety for them to, 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 to come, to be comfortable with who they are, to learn, to grow, to make mistakes, to ask questions, um, you know, to feel included, right? All of that is is present. You're thinking about the work that people are doing, leverage, uh, connecting it back to the talents and strengths that they have. You're thinking about workload. You know your people well enough that you understand when someone shows up and they're not themselves. And you're you're sort of recognizing that, and you're able to sort of um, help them through whatever might be might be going on. Right? You're you're looking at systemic ways to manage burnout because we know that that is sort of the the other pandemic that has been um, you know going on now for for years as well. And the the interesting thing that we found in in our research um, for the book is that um, uh, women and people of color, people in marginalized groups and people who identify as LGBTQ+, a majority of them feel on guard when they come to the workplace. And um, 
that means they're kind of, you know, they're, they're on edge, right? They're sort of putting on, whether it's masking, right? And putting on a persona or they're just super uncomfortable with what might happen next. So they're basically expending all of that energy, um, feeling unsafe, worried about what might happen, um, how they might be treated. And then if you have any inter intersectionality, which we all do, right? So if you're a, a bi Asian woman or a gay black man, those percentages are even higher. So you're talking 50, 60, 70, 80% of people who identify as, um, as any of those categories are, are essentially being on guard. And so from a mental um, well-being and a mental health perspective, you know that they're not coming in uh, you know, feeling, feeling safe, feeling happy, feeling comfortable, their anxiety, uh, whatever, you know, things that are going on for them are, are, are elevated. And you can't have an organization that innovates, that is creative, that produces the best, where people can collaborate, where people can share ideas, where people can work together. If half your population is, is sort of not able to really contribute. So Yes. Um, you, you know, if, if you, um, I, so yes, a conscious workplace absolutely um, supports and drives um, a, a better mental well-being. And um, yes, and, and you don't have to feel like you're in a war zone, you know. Because mm, that's the thing, isn't it? People talk a lot about bring your authentic self to work, but you, if the system doesn't enable that, how do you do that? Um, and it's, it's a real challenge and, and it feels too vulnerable to do that. And of course, that means the workplace isn't conscious and there's a dominant culture that does not fitting and in not letting people be themselves. For sure. For sure. And, you know, what I tell leaders, right, um, because I think this sort of authenticity and, and sort of vulnerability piece is, is hard for folks to to really get their arms around. And I think they sort of think um, because I've, I've had these conversations that it's a free for all. And that, you know, people can uh, just sort of uh, be, be unprofessional or, or sort of just create havoc and chaos in the workplace. And obviously, you and I both know that that is not what we mean by bringing your authentic self, right? It means that you're not um, having to hide or mask an innate part of you about your identity that, that you should feel comfortable. And it is actually incumbent on you know, us as leaders, as managers, um, as, as, as for people who are in the in the majority or people who are in those um, roles of power to actually lead first, right? And to be more vulnerable, to be more authentic, to share what's going on for them. If they are struggling with their mental health or they're even just having a bad day or having kind of a crisis at home, right? I, I had uh, someone just cancel a meeting with me because they're like, I have a little crisis going on. You know, my basement is flooding and I've got to go deal with it, right? And they didn't have to tell me that, um, but, but they did. And I know that's a little thing and that's not sort of really being super vulnerable, but it's share, right? Let people know what's going on for you because we are all human and we all have stuff that's going on for us. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's just something I think is really important for us as leaders and and for people who are sitting in those positions of power to uh, to ask, to lead, um, to to create that safe space, to role model themselves um, what they're experiencing. Because if we start to break down those barriers as leaders, then people can sort of say, "Oh yes, it is safe. I can talk about." 
um, you know, the fact that my mother-in-law is living with me and that's causing me a lot of stress and anxiety or that my dog is really sick and I've got to, you know, I've been having sleepless nights or whatever it is that's, that's going on for us. Mm-hmm. Or I have ADHD or, you know, uh, anxiety or depression or um, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Shara. And I think going back to the first point I mentioned, you know, with all the information out there and your book is an example, you know, what stops workplaces and doing the logical and practical thing? Because we know if people are, if, if, you know, when organizations are fixated by profit, we know that losing staff and losing staff rapidly is going to lose you profit. We know that bad reputation is going to lose you profit. We know that bad news stories are going to lose you profit. So for me, it's very obvious, but what's, <laughs> what, you know, what's going on, what's happening. And um, also, uh, I, I don't know if you can share some teasers and nuggets from your book around, around this and, um, you know, how we can plug this mindset gap. Yes. Such a great question, Layla. And the part of me 20, 30 years ago would be like, yes, it's so clear, right? Like, why can't you just do it? And it's, it's so much like hitting fitness goals or, you know, losing weight or any of those things that there is no quick fix for it, right? I too am looking for like that magic pill that's going to make me, you know, I, I joke about wanting to look like Jennifer Lopez. I'm like, we're the same age. Why can't my abs look like her abs? Well, guess what? There is no magic pill. She has a lot of help. And she's working out, right, for hours upon hours, I'm assuming, per day, you know, to, to look like that. And so it, it's hard work. And it's hard work, not because I, I think people work hard and they're not afraid of hard, like sort of the, the, the physical sort of labor or the number of hours. It's hard work because it's internal work, right? It takes time. It takes focus. Um, it takes intention. And we want instant gratification on most things, and especially now in this world of social media and all of that, that's just only been exacerbated, right? You know, that's the first thing, that it's, it's, a, it's a long haul. I've written several blogs around sort of it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you've got to really pace yourself in, in that way. You know, secondly, you have to really look deep inside of us, right? We have to sort of recognize how are we showing up? And we all have something to contribute, right? All of us have, what, no matter who we are, what role we hold, everybody is contributing to the culture and the organization. So we do have to look deep inside of us as individuals. We have to look at our mindsets. We have to look at our values. We have to look at our beliefs. We have to look at our biases, right? And then we have to look into the organization and say, how does that really show up? And how do we want to shift that? And, and it's hard because we often don't like what we see right, that comes out of these assessments that we do. Uh, it's, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of being able to recognize that it's not necessarily a personal affront on you. It's, it's sort of acknowledging where you are and then helping to make those changes that, that need to go and, and shifting that mindset from that, you know, really from that judging mindset. And we actually sort of talk a lot about that in the book of, you know, being very fixed and sort of being very judgy and being very, like this is the way it is and this is what is going to drive how I do my work because that's how we've, we've learned it, um, to really being more curious and open, right? And, and being inviting to, to other ideas. And, and that sort of goes to the, the third reason I think that this is so hard for many leaders to, to do is that we have to sh- shift uh, how we think and how we approach our work because we have for decades and decades, right? Been successful with this model. 
And that I think is sort of one of the hardest things, Layla, is that we do have the data that if you look at like the standard and poor's and who in the US, right, who is on that list and who is not over the last sort of 20, 30 years, the, the, the list is pretty frightening actually in terms of sort of the number of companies. I wanna say something like 12 companies um, out of the 500 have actually sort of been on there for, for longer than you know 20 or 30 years. But we've got to undo those decades of what we learned in management school and in business school, right? Of what made us successful, what each of us as individuals has been wired to do as we've as we've moved up. And that's really hard because when you are doing well and you are profitable and you are sort of meeting, you've got the pressure from, you know, from the stock market and the analysts to sort of produce your your earnings, hard to to sort of take your eye off the ball, right? Because you're going to get penalized. And so all of that needs to be examined. And what I like to sort of say is you don't know what you're leaving on the table. So yes, you're successful and yes, you're making profits, but what else could you be doing? Could you be making more? Could you be innovating more? Could you be helping your customers or your, your clients more? And you don't know what you don't have. Right. And and I think that's that's sort of the hard thing as well. It's easier in a way, Layla, when everything is sort of falling apart for a company and they're they're losing people and they can't enter a new market and no one is sort of staying. Uh, if, if no women are staying, whatever. Right. When they're sort of being criticized in, in that way. But when it's good, they can't sort of think about, well, what else could I be doing to to really move that? So that's that's sort of some of the challenges we see. Yeah, that's so true. And I think success as well is defined by a certain type of success. So we're looking at upper middle class, white Euro, you know, Euro Americans yeah. in your case, in, in Britain, it's white British people, um, dominant culture shaping a system. So less so I think power underlies all of that as well, doesn't it? Yes, it absolutely yeah. does. Yeah. So Shara, this is, you know, incredibly important work. I, I know you're very enthused by your work as well, but um, we know that this stuff does take a toll on our mental health or it can do. So how do you look after your own mental health? What are your top three tips that you'd like to share with our listeners? Oh, yes, Leila. Um, <laughs> so me working on my own mental health is, is, to be very honest, it's a work in progress, right? And that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm owning it. But probably the best thing I do, um, which may sound like the silliest thing I do, is I, I walk with a friend once a week. And um, we, we like to do the hills um, in, our, in our neighborhood. And so I get a good glute workout. But more importantly, we just, we talk. And it is, she's, she's a friend, she's a business owner, she's a colleague. And in that sort of 45 minutes to an hour that we walk together, we cover so much ground. And it's just really cathartic and it's just really positive. And I, I just always feel really energized um, and grounded and centered by it. Our goal is to always do it once a week. You know, sometimes there are things that happen, like we, we usually walk on Wednesdays or Fridays and I couldn't do it yesterday and, and Friday she's out of town. So there are times we miss it, but I tell you, I really miss that, right? So that is really important for me to, uh, you know, I, I guess the, the big tip there is sort of, for me to sort of be with a friend, to be outside, to, to sort of be able to, um, such an extrovert that I am, kind of just get things sort of off, off my mind. The, the second thing is that the beach is my happy place. I don't live near the beach. I, I honestly, you know, there are days when I think I should just pack it all in and just go, you know, 
serve beverages and on a tiki hut in a beach. But if I can, no matter the time of year, it can be 30 degrees outside Fahrenheit, 30 degrees Fahrenheit. So you do the math, very cold <laughs> in probably zero degrees, right? It can be cold, it can be windy, it can be hot, whatever. But if my toes are in the sand, in the water, I feel the salt air, I literally just decompress. And so I try to even take a day trip to just go do that. Um, I'm happy to do it by myself, even as extroverted as I am. And, uh, and if I can't get to the beach, I get to water because that just um, rejuvenates me. And then the last thing is uh, I can be a little bit of a couch potato because I either sort of run at, you know, 150 miles an hour, or I sort of um, will binge watch shows and, you know, whether it's a Ted Lasso or a Marvelous Mrs. Maisel or, you know, sex education or whatever it is, right? I, I try to find um, something that I can just use to sort of escape and just laugh. And, you know, for those 30 minutes, 45 minutes, I don't have to, to think about anything. And that usually is just a good, just a good reset for me. Oh, brilliant. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no, really helpful tips. Thank you so much. And I think we all know it's a work in progress for all of us. Like, I always laugh because I'm great at helping other people. Sometimes I'm not the best yeah. for myself. <laughs> <laughs> so Shara, thank you so much for your time. And if people want to know more about your work, I will, of course, include these in the show notes. How would you like them to contact you and get in touch? Yes, please reach out. I love to talk to people as I'm sure people uh, can imagine. So I'm on LinkedIn, very easy to find. If you just type Shara, my first name, that is sort of my, you know, take you right to my LinkedIn. You can go to my website, the Silvering Group and contact me there. You are very welcome to book a complimentary consultation and we can get to know each other. And also on the website, um, both my Silverine website and the book website, um, which is shararoman.com, uh, there's a little culture quiz that you can take. And it takes about five minutes and give you a quite little overview of what your organization culture might look like. And we'd certainly be happy to, to chat more there. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much. And it's great. And it's always great to speak to people from around the world um, and get a sense of what's going on. So really appreciate your time, your warmth and all your um, kindness that you've shared with us today, Shara. My pleasure, Leila. It's been really terrific talking to you. And I, I love always connecting with, with the, the British uh, podcast, ho a co a podcast host because it just makes me, takes me back to my time in, uh, yeah. in the UK. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. So thanks, everyone. Please tune in next week where we'll be talking about Please Don't Workplace Mistakes. Until then, take care. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.